0: Oh, I told you a scripture. I had her look it up for me when you were praying over me. You said that people would be hungry to receive, right hungry to receive and I, this was this is in one of these that's part of this it's already in my notes i don 't know when we get to it. Um, this is in second chronicles chapter sixteen about hungry. Uh, like verse nine for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. So God is is in heaven or he's, you know, he's God. He's everywhere. But he's, he's surveying the earth with his eyes. He's looking for something. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So God is looking for people whose hearts are given to him. They're just given to him. I mean, David, King David was a man after God's heart. God described him that way, right? Yet he was a murderer, an adulterer, you know, he wasn't a very good dad. I mean, he wasn't a perfect man according to the rules and the ways the scriptures would teach, but that, for some reason, wasn't how God measured him about his heart for God. That's really important to understand. Because if you think that God's heart for you is based upon your performance, then The Bible's wrong. King David couldn't have been a man after God's heart. He's looking for that sincere, pure, contrite. Blessed are the pure in heart. What comes next? Anybody know? For they shall see God. God. Why? Because he's looking for them, and he wants to strongly support them. He wants to get up behind and strengthen the person whose heart is completely his. So I agree with Dan's prayer, that every person in this place, without regard to your behavior... That that your heart would be turned complete, completely to God, such that He might find you and strengthen you. In Jesus' name. Okay, that was a good one. Alrighty. There's a scripture in here someplace. A sermon. There we go. Whew. Okay. Just a quick review from last week, because all these are, are connected. And, and this wasn't in last week's, but it's going to help with the review. Uh, Jesus in the Great Commission gives three commands and a promise. Three commands and a promise. In Matthew's rendering of the Great Commission. First uh, command, make disciples. Second command, baptize them. Third command, teach them to obey Jesus' commands. So, go out into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And the fourth is a promise, and lo, I will be with you always. That's why it's a commission, right? It could be a job, and he sends you to do it, but it's a commission. It's a co-mission. It's between us and God, and lo, he is with us as we're out there making disciples, baptizing those disciples, and then uh, discipling them, teaching them to obey his commands. Last week we had four scriptures, uh, three from the Old Testament, one that echoed the Old Testament scriptures. They're all Uh, quoted from God as saying, you, or ye, shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for I am holy. And that was kind of the foundation we laid and then to understand why is it that I shall be holy because you are holy. What's the point? Is it just commands? We watched the video. I told you I mentioned a video. And um, somebody actually knew what that video was just from my description. That was kind of interesting. Um, Where they start off, First, kind of mocking, you know, pretty well-known Christian leaders that are not perfectly in agreement with them. And then second, they start all these testimonies about having grown up under these manipulating, controlling pastors and ministries that use the law of God as a way to control them. And it it messed them over. And we looked at those laws, and we, we tried to understand that there's more than just a command. There's a command for a purpose, right? Thou shalt not murder. We have a law in our country, right? Every state, you can't murder people. Why? Because the president said so. Well, no, because when you murder people, you, you've taken something that's not yours, that person's life, that hurts them. You've taken someone's son, daughter, mother, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, that hurts them. You, you can't murder in America because it's wrong and it creates pain and suffering and And we we were able to tie back a lot of this command stuff, not to control, but as as a way that God facilitates and then protects relationships. Example, don't lie. Why? Don't steal. Why? Because when you lie and steal, then you become untrustworthy. And you can't have an intimate relationship with someone you can't trust. They can't get close because you won't let them close. Because they're not trustworthy. So there's a practical why that's behind the what of a command that, you know, somebody says, well, you can't lie anymore, you're a Christian. And he probably could have said it better, but you shouldn't lie anymore. Why? Well, because you're holy in God. He paid a heavy price, but more than that, you've been integrated now into his body. By his suffering, you've been reconciled into relationship with God himself and with all the members of his body. And when you tell lies, you make it very difficult to stay in any kind of reasonable degree of integration. That's kind of the gist of what I was trying to get across last week. Now, I told you last week that this week I would talk about these big things that happen when you get born again. And, I'll, and I'll, it might not happen this week, but I'll tie this all back into that bigger conversation about laws and commands and things. So, we'll start this week now. And, you know, forgive me. I was telling Trist this morning, if Jacob and I could have this conversation, I could ask him a question. and he, I mean, you could still answer a question, but he could give me a response. I'd say, oh, okay, and that would lead me to a scripture, and then I could ask him a question, but he could say, ask me a question, and, and I could have an interaction. When I put this thing together, I have so many scriptures because I'm, I'm anticipating in my mind every question. I feel like i got to answer every question, with the scripture and that's how they get so big. So, I'm offering to you anybody or everybody if if you really need some me to sit down and we can do it that way, I'll do it with you that way too. So that you can ask me questions cuz these things are so fundamental to Christianity. Yet when I talk to Christians, they don't really have any sense for understanding and they and they definitely have very little ability to articulate this back. And I'm saying, not that many years ago, I would have struggled with this. But it's really important. The guy that I'm uh, getting the the honor to disciple, these are the kind of things that he has no understanding of. He doesn't understand. He could probably quote, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, and then he could apply that freedom to anything he wanted to. Because people just blurt out scriptures without any real context and and any real... um, sense of understanding. But they're good, you know. I'm set free. woohoo! But it's more than that. So anyway, I'm offering to you, all of you, any of you, that if you want to sit down, you would bless me to sit down and dig into these scriptures so that when, when we're done, you would be more able. Matter of fact, before we went on vacation, I think it was, I talked about, you know, God really expects us to grow, to be maturing, right? And Teresa... For the prayer in the morning, she walked in and there's sitting at the table in Keith and Patty's room over there today. today. Did I say tomorrow? No, you just say. Oh, today, right. Today, this morning. There's um, Jack Palmer sitting at the end of the table studying his notes because he's teaching the class today. And, and and he had already prepared his scriptures and he knew what he was going to say and he was just making sure that he was familiar with them before he taught his class. Jack is what? 10, 11, 12, something? 9 or 10? Yeah, yeah. So my here's my word. Keep Jack in your rear view mirror, not looking at his tail lights. Okay. So I told you this week that we would talk about what happens, like when you're born again. So, so kind of the effects of being born again. Maybe not an exhaustive list, but a short list of big ones. Born again, these are words you're familiar with. Born again, saved, redeemed, justified. They're all big Bible words. A matter of fact, I, I probably told you this before, but when we got saved, Teresa and I, you know, we, we were like on a rocket ship. We just, we, we just jumped in with both feet. My mom had some sense of Christianity. Um, she considered herself Presbyterian, but she never went to church. maybe Easter once in a blue, blue moon when we were in Ohio. She's from Ohio. Anyway, we were at my mom's house, and you know our Christianity was kind of showing, and she said, "Well, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you?" And I mean, at that point, I knew a little, you know. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure I am, Mom. you know. But I, born again to her for whatever must have happened, you know, in society in the church earlier in her life was kind of like um, holy roller or you know one of those kind of terms. It wasn't. You know, everybody's probably running around, hey, I'm a born-again Christian. Are you a born-again Christian? And and it got to be almost like a negative thing instead of a truth that comes out of the Bible. So my mom, who had some sense for Christianity, thought that it was derogatory if you called yourself a born-again Christian. She actually was kind of making fun of us if we thought we were born-again Christians. But you can't be a Christian unless you're born again. It's impossible. There is no entrance into the kingdom of heaven by dead people, only live people. And they get live by being born again. So words like born again, saved, redeemed, justified, they all mean the same thing. It means that you've become reconciled to God, sealed and indwelt by his Holy Spirit. That's what all those mean. And without being saved, you don't have relationship with God, eternal relationship, without being redeemed, without being justified, without being born again. They, They all reference the same thing. So John 3, 3. Jesus answered to him, this is to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? So no, no born again, no kingdom of God. It's a fact. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So everybody that is, is born of flesh, of blood, of natural ways. But the ones that receive Jesus get this thing called born again. And it's interesting, the word, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That word right is, oh man, I hope I'm not messing this up because I, I just thought of it. I didn't look it up, is exousia. Exousia is the word, in King James a lot of times it's translated power, but in most translations it's translated authority. So it's almost like when you humbled yourself before the gospel, you responded to the gospel by surrendering your will to Jesus' for your life and trusting that he really was risen from the dead, that he was a full and complete offering for your sin debt, you were authorized then, stamped, authorized, to call God your Father, to become a child of God. Hmm. Anyway, it's a right that comes to those who receive Jesus. So, first scripture, unless you're born again, you don't see the kingdom. Second scripture, it's, it's only by being born, not of man, but of God, that you enter the kingdom 1 Peter one twenty three. Now, this is Peter speaking to those people that we just described, those that received Jesus, to the church. He says this, For you have been born again, born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So, when we're born again, we're born different than the way we were born the first time. When you're born the first time, There's a conception that happens. One part is provided by your mom, one part is provided by your dad. Now, you know, don't write this down in ink, but I'm pretty sure it's true. The part that's provided by your dad is the part that corrupts you through the male line. That's That's why Adam is called our seminal father. The corruption flows through Adam. When the Bible speaks to the fall, it speaks to Adam, not to Eve. The corruption, it doesn't really matter because you can't be born without both. But I believe that the corruption comes through that which is provided by the man. But when you were born again, you were born of a different seed. right? When, when Gabriel the angel came to Mary and said, Oh, blessed of God, whatever, how he said it, you have been chosen to carry the Christ child. And Mary's like, I don't know, 13 or something, they say. And she's like, well, I don't understand how that can be. She was betrothed to Joseph, but she'd never known a man. She was a virgin. And she's like, how can that be? And he says, because God is going to come over you, and the Holy Spirit is going to bring this about inside of you. See, so the, the seminal father of Jesus was God himself, not Joseph. Now, I don't know whether Mary had an egg that participated in that, so that Jesus actually had her human DNA, but we know that he was human. We know that he had to take on flesh. And we know that he couldn't have been born naturally because he would have been corrupted. And whether he ever sinned or not, he would have already been corrupt and he would have been ineligible for heaven. So when Peter says, you have been born again, not with perishable seed, human seed, but with imperishable seed, what he's saying is, what happened to Jesus spiritually is what happened to you. That that the seed of God has come and it has... It has manifested a new being that's not corrupt as if it had been conceived naturally. So when you get born again, your sin debt is paid. It's been transferred from your account to Jesus' account. You become righteous. Jesus' righteousness becomes your righteousness. And and something else happens. You're no longer under law. And you no longer behave poorly and that, that's what I want to show you today but you have to understand that when we say born again it means something happened it wasn't just, it's not just a Bible term that says now you're going to be a better person because you know the rules and you're going to do your darnest to keep them no you're going to keep them because you're righteous now and righteous people behave righteously is that making sense? okay sometimes I try too hard okay number one effect of born again, old and new. You get this, but I I just want to reinforce it with the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which is another way to say they've been born again, the old things passed away, or excuse me, he is a new creature, or she, is a new, new, not revamped, not, you know, shinied up, new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Titus 3.5 says this. He saved us. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. We don't have that. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So our new birth is a function of God the Holy Spirit regenerating and making new this person that had been separated by God by the initial corruption of their seminal father, Adam, and then by the corruption of their own sin. Born again you, or pre-born again you, is born of flesh naturally. Pre-born again you is born of corrupt seed with a sinful nature. It's really important to understand that. The person who doesn't know Jesus in a saving way that's not born again, their very nature is to sin. And the way that, that the way that it's described that we can get it is, you've got um, a little one, like Liam. Let's say Liam, right? He's just He's so beautiful. He's so pure when he's born. But he doesn't get to be very old before if he knocks the vase off the shelf and it smashes all over the floor, and you say, Liam, who broke the vase? He's like, not me. And you're like, well, I never taught Liam to lie. How in the world would Liam lie when nobody taught him to lie, why wouldn't he just say, hey, I did it? Because his nature is corrupt. He has a sinful nature. Every person has a sinful nature because of that corruption. Preborn you, and I include me, of course, preborn us is by nature unrighteous and will behave according to our nature. But born again you is not born of flesh or blood or naturally. Born again you is born of God, of uncorrupt seed. Um, Ephesians 4:24 says, you know, it's a, it's a sentence out of the rest, but it says, "And put on the new self this is what I want you to hear, which, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. There's your definition for your new person. How was I created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Old you, corrupt. Sinful, can't help it. Born that way. It's a very nature. New you? No. Born in the likeness of God. Righteousness and holiness of the truth. Write that in your brain. Write that in your heart in ink. Because the devil doesn't want you to see yourself. And he'll allow you to see your behaviors in such a way that gets you to identify with being your old self. Now, Yes, ma'am. That's really important. Teresa's reinforcing that point. That the example that you had that discussion like with, with Jesus, you mean? I think that drives us to the point. Okay. Sure. So, Teresa and I, we talk a lot. We live together. I'm like 24 hours a day. Um, We were talking about the guy that I got to share the gospel with and how glorious it is to see what's happening to him and how, you know, if you don't really explain to somebody, then they might get saved, but the richness of their salvation is going to be lacking and their commitment to the way the word describes is likely to be shallow or lacking. And this is for each and every one of us. And, and essentially, I, I was just telling her, it's like I wasn't telling him about how Jesus bled and died and suffered and carried the weight of all his sin and paid the wrath of God for it that made him cry. It was the presence of God. And and the thought that I had was, we, f- we think about that. That's a good thing to talk about. People should understand the price that was paid for their sin debt. But it's almost disassociated because it was 2,000 and some years ago, and and it's for everybody, so it's like you know it, it can just get kind of you can get calloused a little bit where it doesn't touch you as powerfully as it should. And the thought came was this: What if Pat Brady is walking down the street in Jerusalem, and this guy who has a comely no no comely appearance? There's nothing attractive about him that would draw me to him, except for that he's Jesus and there's some kind of godly light of the world about him. And Jesus walks up to me because. I'm what the Father is doing in that moment. And he does what he sees the Father doing, and he comes up to me, introduces himself. We have a conversation, and he shares, basically, my situation with me. And I come to understand that, that my eternal destiny is the wrath of God, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, somebody, please come and just bring me a drop of water and drop it on my tongue, for my tongue is on fire. I mean, I get it. I understand. And I say, what, what can I do? How do I avoid this? And and Jesus says who he is, and then he says just just stay right here a minute, and he walks to the high priest chambers, and he says I'm Jesus of Nazareth, and they snatch him up, and they jam the thorn into his head, and they strip him naked, and they make fun of him, and they spit on him, And and I'm watching, and I'm like Jesus, what are you doing? He said, but you wanted to not have the wrath of God, right? Yeah, one of us has got to do this, either you or me. And then you watch Jesus do it, get flogged, get crucified, because you understood your situation. And it wasn't a trillion, billion people across the whole earth. It was personal. It, it was me. And it is personal. And if, if that's the way God allowed it to play out a billion, trillion times, it would have been right every single time, and it would have been true every single time. And it just paints a picture that makes you, if, even if it doesn't make you want to surrender your life to him, it sure does make you appreciate in a way that's probably a little more personal. Okay, that do all right? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Old you, unrighteous. Born again you, righteous. So when you get born again, that's what happened. You're new, all right? Okay. Born again effect number two your relationship to the law changes. And the law is an interesting thing. It's a, it's a concept of life, right? Let's forget about the Bible. Our society, our culture is full of laws, right? I mean, there's lots of laws. You can only go 55 miles an hour on Seymour Road. That's a law. You can't steal what's not yours. That's a law. You can't murder people. That's a law. You've got to pay your taxes. That's a law. And and we keep the the secular laws... Right? Because we have a conscience and we understand that society can't work right without them. But we also keep them because when you don't do them, there's a consequence that's associated with not keeping the laws, right? Clean your bedroom. Okay. Did you clean your bedroom? Nope. Clean your bedroom. Okay. Did you clean your bedroom? Nope. Come here just a minute. What? What's that in your hand, Dad? Oh, that would be a wooden spoon. (laughs) What's that for? That's so you clean your bedroom. <laughs> right. Punishment. And, and biblically, we're under the law, right? As, a cre- as being created by God, we are under certain laws, moral laws, that keep us able, this whole world, if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from the tree... They wouldn't have become unrighteous. They wouldn't have had a sinful nature. And and, and basically, it would be heaven on earth even today. They would have actually fulfilled their command of taking dominion over the planet and being fruitful and multiplying of their kind, mankind. Right. So they were under this this one law. And man, again, here I want to tell you why, but I'm not. I've told you before why. It's how we express our love towards God like keep his commands, right? They only had one, they blew it. So, bummer. But the law was implemented for a reason other than to just control. See, once mankind was corrupted, we were acting corruptly. Let me give you a scripture about why the law was put in place. Therefore, the law, this is Galatians 3.24, Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So mankind is committing sin. They're living in a horrible way. They're rebelling against God. And it's going to cost them eternally. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. So they're not accountable. So God brought the law So that we would understand, I'll give you some scriptures, that we would understand that sin is actually sinful. And that we would understand that we've transgressed, we've transgressed, we've transgressed, which would lead us to understand that we can't not transgress, right? I'll try to be good, I'll try to be good, I'll try to be good, then God will let me into heaven. Oh, why can't I be good? Read Romans chapter 7 if you want to get that one. The back half. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Why don't I do the things I want to do? What a... a, wretched man i am who will deliver me from this body of death right so the law made mankind to understand that they couldn't be okay with god and they needed some other mechanism because there is a righteousness that comes from the keeping of the rules it's a re- it's a legitimate righteousness but only one person ever did it and no other person ever could because of their being born corrupt okay Therefore, the law has become our tutor, it's our teacher, it's to show us to Christ, to the need for Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. The, the kind of longer version of that starts in Romans chapter 3, and I'll read ultimately 19 through 23, but the first couple verses first. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So, so start to get this concept in your head, there's, there's two classes of people. There are those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. There are those that are not born again and there are those that are born again. Now these are the same people, in Adam, not born again, in Christ, born again. There are those that are unrighteous and there are those that are righteous. There's different ways of describing these two different groups of people on the earth. And there are those that are under the law and there are those that are not. Unrighteous, in their father Adam, under the law judged by the law, either the law of Moses or the law that God wrote on their hearts so that they would be able to know better. Or they are in Christ, they are righteous, and they are not under the law. Okay, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law teaches us that about sin. Romans 4.15 For the law brings about wrath. Why does the law bring wrath? Think about that for just a minute. The answer is because we don't keep it. And because we don't keep it, we bring the wrath of God onto ourselves. So the law brings about wrath because we can't keep it. The law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation or no transgression. So without law, and the example I use on that is my street. My street's as wide as a driveway. Two cars cannot fit on my street together. It's that little. And it's a neighborhood street. And there's lots of children in our neighborhood. If there's no speed limit, you could drive 100 miles an hour down my street. And the cop couldn't do anything about it. Because where there is no law, there's nothing to transgress. There's nothing to violate. But it wouldn't be right to drive 100 miles an hour down my street. So this is getting you to the end. I would never drive hundred miles down my street, miles an hour down my street, because I'm righteous. And righteous people behave righteously. I wouldn't do it, even though I could, and nobody could punish me for it. Where there's no law, there's no violation. The law brings about wrath, but where there's no law, there's no violation. Without law, there is no transgression for sin, but sin is still unrighteous and causes corruption. Without the law... There's no accountability to God. So without law, man's not accountable to God. He gets to do what he wants, and there is no penalty. Romans 7, 12 and 13. So then, man, I wish I could read you more of this, but you can read it. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So even though law brings about wrath, law is holy. And the commands of the law are righteous, and they're good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. So understand, the law brought about the transgression, but the transgression was always the transgression. That's sin. So he's like, well, then is law bad because it made me die? It's like, no, the law didn't make you die. Sin made you die. The law made you understand that sin made you die. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, the law, so that through the commandments, sin would become utterly sinful. It's a lot, ain't it? You all right? You thinking about horses? Okay. <laughs> Back to Romans 3 19 through 20, I read that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now 21. But now apart from the law the righteousness, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, but now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been manifested. In order to be have eternal relationship, fellowship with God, to be reconciled with God, To or actually wouldn't be unreconciled, would require his righteousness. Never breaking, doing anything that was ever wrong or bad or anything like that. That's God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's absolutely righteous. So there is a legitimate righteousness that comes from being like him. You never made a sin. But there's a, there's, that's not a righteousness that anybody can get next to God by because of our flesh. So... God presented to us another way to be righteous. And that's through faith. Do you understand? I know I've said this a lot, but I think it takes a lot of passes. You can be righteous as God is righteous. One way is you you be godly, perfect. can't do it. So now you're unrighteous and you're doomed. But wait, there's another way to be righteous. And that righteousness, that one, is equal. It's equal to God's righteousness and God... Apportions it to us, he accredits it to us by faith. So if you have faith, the kind of faith that causes you to be saved and born again and regenerate and justified, all those words, you are exactly as righteous as God is righteous. But what if I commit a sin? This is the thing that the guy got hung up on. He said to me, I mean, it was so beautiful. He looked at me like, But what if I can't do it? What do you mean? Well, what if I can't be as good as I need to be? It's like, okay, we need to back up because you don't understand the gospel. You can't be as good as you need to be. And as long as you try to think that that's got something to do with your righteous standing before God, you'll never stand in righteousness before God. You have to understand that you have a righteousness that's derived not from your behavior but from your faith. So then I don't have to be good? No, you don't. I can still be saved, and I can behave badly. Yes. Why? Because that's not where your righteousness is found. It's found in Jesus. It's his righteousness, imputed to you, given to you, by God's grace, through his mercy, by faith. So you have to disassociate your behavior with your ultimate righteousness. Otherwise you'll be forever getting sucked back into the law Remember, it was for freedom that Christ, that Christ set us free. Freedom from what? The law. So that you can be righteous outside of the law. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. I answered one of your questions for you. You can all be smart students later on. In... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a license to sin, but Paul addresses that too, Right? If, if, if grace abounds in sin, why don't we sin all the time so that grace will abound even more? He's like, no, it may it never be. That's not the point. But you don't even have to care about that. Because once you become righteous by faith, guess what happens? You act righteously. You can't help it. It's like, I'm going to be a bad boy today. God's up there like, no, you're not. No, I'm going to. I'm taking a day off, and I'm just going to be terrible today. God just snickered. He's like, Jesus, here we go again. Look at this. He's spinning his tires in the mud. Why? He's trying to be bad. How come he's not going anywhere? Because he can't. That's truth. I mean, I'm making it light, but that's truth. So many people in the church are so bound up because somebody told them, you got to keep the rules. Jesus is watching. It's like, no, he's not. Every time you act bad, you know what he watches? Your heart. Ooh, that wasn't so good. Ah, oh, yeah, but his heart is still with me. David, a man after God's heart. Well, that was adultery. I mean, some angels like God, I don't think he's got really a man after your heart. He's like, No, he is. But did you see the adultery? He's like, Yeah, I saw that, but that's not what I measure. I measure his heart. And guess what? When you got born again, guess what happened to your heart? It you got born again, too. <laughs> You're a new creature. You gotta drag the old one around with you till God takes you home. That's how you tell him that's your tree in the garden. That's how you tell God you love him. Flesh says this. Hmm. No, I'm not doing that. God heard I love you. Okay. 11.53. You know, kind of time. We <laughs> Lost our spot, though. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a legitimate righteousness. How do I get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe. For there is no distinction. Everybody has sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So all need some way to be righteous. But they've already sinned. So self-righteousness is off the table. It's already blown. It's only the righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ that God offers to us. Somebody say amen or woohoo or something. Yeah. That part, we get it, right? I mean, but the devil's always, 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 always going to try to get you back to thinking that you've got to perform for God. And you don't. Okay. Remember I said some things happened to you when you got born again. The first one was you're a new creature in Christ. You're, you're, you're literally new. We, we, we understand that in our minds. Sometimes it's hard to, to manifest that understanding when the devil's trying to lie to us. Second thing is that we're not under law. God is taking us out from underneath the law. 1 Corinthians 15 explains, I think, why God did that. In Romans 6, it says, As, as a born-again person, you're no longer a slave to sin. Which would indicate that before you're born again, you are a slave to sin, right? But when you're born again, sin, you might commit a sin, right? I was trying to explain to the guy. He's like, well, if I'm born again and I commit a sin, how come? Well, because you, you chose to. Well, but I thought I don't. No, no, you got this battle going on between your old man and the devil and your new man and God to see what's the fruit going to come out of your soul, and the devil's always trying to get you to make a mistake. And he knows the places where you haven't been transformed yet. The places you've been weak or hurt or insecure or whatever. And he tries to work those places to get you to sin. Right? But sin has no power over you anymore. You're not its slave. You used to be, but you're not anymore. Why is that? It's because you're not under law. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin. So... When, when you get stung by your sin, it brings about death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the victory? You're not under the law anymore. The power of sin is the law. So if God were to, I don't know a right way to say this, born us again, and leave us under the law, and then we sinned, the sting of sin is death. We'd be in this constant cycle of having to get born again again and born again again and born again again and born again again and born again again because sin would still be our slave master. So God's so smart, he took us out from underneath the law. He said, you're not under law anymore. If you want to drive 100 miles an hour down Pat Brady Street, you can, and there is no penalty for it because you're not under law. You're not under law. The point? Law empowers sin. So to make us so that sin had no power, he took us out from under the law. And you're like, well, that's crazy because now I can do what I want. The difference is you're new. And what you want isn't to drive 100 miles an hour down my street. What you want is to drive safely down my street. Why? Because that's righteous. And that's who you are now. But I drove too fast down your street. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. That was him getting a hold of you. You responded to the wrong guy. But you're still you are righteous. And righteous people do righteous things. I'll show that to you. Um, wait, but, but, because he took us out from under the law, um, this will be fast, I promise. And I'm going to be fast. Maybe we'll stop here. Maybe we won't. Okay, we won't. Margie's choice, she did it. Therefore, I read this scripture to you earlier. Galatians 5.1 It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I have the questions in here. People often, often quote it, at least the beginning. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. We probably have songs we sing about that. What's the yoke of slavery? The yoke of slavery is the law. What did he set us free from? The law. Now we're free. And if you were to look at Galatians 5.1 in its context, you'd find that there are people that are considering doing something as an act of righteousness so they could be saved. And Paul is saying to them, God through Paul is saying to them, the minute you believe that you have to have some righteousness of your own, then you have to be righteous on your own. And Christ is of no value to you. That's why when we share the gospel with somebody, they need to understand that. Because how easy could you slip back into that situation of thinking that you had to manufacture righteousness to be okay with God? Because it makes sense. It's worldly wisdom. Okay, so quit looking at your watch, Steve. He was eating something earlier. It's not like I noticed. Give him another sandwich or something. We're going to be all right. It was for freedom that Christ set us free from the law. Romans 8, 1 through 4. (sighs) Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's condemnation? It's the go to hell thing, right? Are you in Christ Jesus? Raise your hand if you think you are, right? Now, raise your other hand if you've ever broken the law. Okay, put them both down because there's no condemnation for you. You're in Christ Jesus. That's what that means. There's no condemnation for you. you're in Christ Jesus, so you can break the law. But you shouldn't. don't break the law, but you understand that, you're righteous. right yeah you might I mean, there might be some temporal consequence. This part I don't understand so much, right? First John says, "If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. I believe John is speaking to the church. He's speaking warnings and things so that ultimately you would know whether or not you're saved. That's what he says at the end. But he says, if you say you, have, you don't sin, you're a liar, and you make God to be a liar. Because God says, you know, you're going to stumble. But if you do, confess your sins, and God will be faithful and just, or faithful and righteous, to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So, when a Christian sins, it brings some, some sense of unrighteousness, but not the kind of unrighteousness that separates you from God, otherwise you'd still be under law. So I don't know exactly, temporally, in relationship with God, what that means. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So maybe, maybe nearness to God is impacted when we sin. And when we confess it, that unrighteousness, that, that note of rebellion is taken away such that we can be more intimate with God. But it doesn't change our eternal status with God because he made it that way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's your new legal system, it's called grace, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Free. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So righteousness, the law, the law could never bring righteousness. Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh. We just can't keep it. Why can't we keep it? Because we're corrupt. We have a sinful nature. It's never going to happen. So God created another mechanism of righteousness. And for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation because his grace has set you free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I should make a comment here because I, was, I misunderstood this for the longest time. At the end of 8.1-4, in 4 it says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, Jesus came, and by his perfect life, he fulfilled the requirement of the law. We are now in him, so it's been fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I used to think of that as like an on and an off. Oh, I'm walking in the flesh. Oh, I'm walking in the spirit. Oh, I'm walking in the flesh now. Oop, I'm walking in the spirit. No. Once you're born again, that walk in the spirit is what he's talking about. Even though you might occasionally serve your flesh, you are walking in the spirit according to what that scripture is speaking to. You might not be walking where the spirit's leading you in that particular moment, But you are walking in the Spirit because he is in you and you are in Christ. That's what that means. And then when you see um, Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You could replace with, but if you are led by the Spirit with, but if you are born again, but if you are saved, but if you have been justified, but if you have been redeemed. That's what that's talking about. Not in this moment, I'm actually walking according to the Spirit. You walk in the spirit because he's inside of you. Got it? Okay. That's a huge revelation for me because I'm, I'm feeling like, man, in the spirit, out of the spirit, in the spirit, out of the spirit. Driving the car, not so much ever in the spirit. It's like, you know, okay. Born effect number three. And this is the last effect. The first one is you're a new person. The second one is you're not under the law anymore. The third one is you behave differently. And and I just have one scripture. I I pounded this a year or two ago. 1 John 3, 9, and 10. And if you want to get this better, 1 John 3 is a good place to go. Read the whole thing. No one who is born of God. Remember at the end of 1 John in chapter 5, I told you, John says this. These things in, in John the Gospel, these things I have written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. You don't have to wonder. You read this, and you'll know that Jesus is the Christ. 1 John, at the end, he says, These things I have written so that you will know that you are in Christ or not. Okay, so in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, here's what he says. No one who is born of God practices sin because his, God's seed, abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What is born of God? Born again, right? No one who is born again practices sin. Because, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. No one who is born again practices sin. Because God's seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born again. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So the, the way that John wants you to understand whether or not you're actually born again or you're not is what's the practice of your life? Kenneth helped me with this a lot because I would say, but Kenner, you know, and I would be thinking that I'm sinning a lot. And, and Kenneth would say to me, well, tell me about it. I'd be okay. And he'd get a smile on his face. And it's like, we're afraid to call ourselves righteous. We're afraid to, to say that I, I behave like a righteous man. But the fact is if you're born again, you can't behave any other way. And I'm like, well, I can't think of any, but I must have, you know? And he's like, well, you probably do. But the point is, that's the subtle stuff. You're, you're being cleansed. You're born again. God's seed abides in you. You can't live that way anymore. So God doesn't have to worry about taking you out from under the law because he's created you by his own seed. His spirit lives inside of you. And you cannot practice sin. You can't live that way. It's impossible. But you don't know. I mean, I this and I'm this all the time. This, I've been doing this for years and this years. What's the point? This is next week now. The point is, that's the test. Now the bummer is, it doesn't show you where the line is between an occasional sin or a thing that I struggle with and the, the practicing of sin that would indicate that you're not born again you get it okay here's what we're gonna do let me just ask you a question you got to actually respond like some way like amen nod your head go like this something are you understanding that under this this guise of the bible's full of rules it's full of laws it's full of things that define good and bad according to god And that we should see them as mechanisms to help us to live the way we should live. The way we were designed to live. So that we can have what Jesus called abundant life. They facilitate our intimate relationship with God. And they facilitate our healthy intimate relationship with one another. And that's true because of things like the three things that we talked about today. That you got to see yourself not as the person you were before, but as the person you you are now. Created it in holiness and righteousness, or righteousness and holiness of the truth in the likeness of God. Second thing. Second thing. Who remembers the second thing? I got notes full of the second thing. You're not under law anymore. Thank you. Second thing, you're not under the law. I mean, you really got to internalize that because it it, it makes your brain go tilt otherwise. Because everything about our life indicates that you're subject to the law. And that's true, except for the born-again Christian as it relates to your eternal relationship with God. You're not under the law anymore. And then finally, that's going to work because the new creature acts like God. He's made in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You're going to behave like your God behaves. Most of the time. When you don't, He says, confess your sin. But you don't have to concern yourself with, you should concern yourself with holiness, and you should concern yourself with being transformed by the renewing of your mind, because your soul is still a work in process. But your inner man is holy and has the desire to behave holy. How do I know that's true? I know that's true because the Idonis needed some help. There you go. There's a, there's a handsome identity model right there. They needed some help, and the help came. How do I know? Because we sent $5,000, oh, we're about to, $5,000. Five look around you. You're sitting in a $5,000-looking kind of, which one of you is the millionaire? That's what I can't figure out, right? And we sent $5,000, and what did you do? You clapped. I said, hey, get, not going to fix the roof. You know the roof's a mess, and you clapped. Why? Because that's who you are. Because you care about Dr. Yeboah. You care about Denny and Mindy out there trying to save embryos, let alone women who already have conceived inside and growing inside their bellies. And you're like, that's righteous that we fixed their car. Believe it. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Okay, so then what I had is the summary for this will just be next next Sunday, and then I'll I'll step into the next part. Okay. Kevin, Jeff, Dan, somebody come on up and use all your muscles and pick up these bags, these baskets. Don't you love the Word of God? Seriously. I, I just love it, because these are lights that have only come on for me in real depth of understanding in the last few years, and it just makes me so excited to understand that god's not looking to knock the snot out of me with a wooden spoon. forgive me Annika. knock the snot out of me with a wooden spoon if I make a mistake it's just not how our relationship is. It makes me love him more it makes me it makes me understand it makes it makes me want to be like Jesus even more. it gives me confidence it gives me it gives me security it, it, it just I love. God, I love your word, man. I just, it just to me, it's like a half-fudge cream puff or ten of them that I get to eat every single day, and they do make me fat. They make me spiritually wonderfully fat.